This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCute, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. Robbie Coyetton is an ordinary guy with an extraordinary story. In 2006, Robbie broke both ankles in a climbing accident, permanently damaging both ankles and putting him in a wheelchair for the longest year of his life. With crippling debt, severe depression and constant pain, Robbie spiraled into an abyss of despair and hopelessness with literally nothing left. Nothing. But the power to decide and to dream. This is a story about losing everything and what it takes to rebuild a life from absolutely rock bottom and not giving up until you reach the ultimate goal, the summit of Mount Everest. Robbie, it's great to have you on the show today. You're not the first, youngest or fastest to summit Everest, uh, just the most driven. I'm excited to have you in here. You are one hell of a motivational guy and I'm hoping you're going to be able to motivate our listeners. Thanks Brent, just with an introduction like that, even I'm excited to hear what I've got to say. Um, <laughs> thanks so I, much, it's always so good to be on the air with you. I hope that you can back it up because now I've, I've sort of raised the bar. You've as, sold us both, yeah. Man, you've climbed many mountains over the past years and we'll get into that, we'll get into the discussions of, of these goals that you've put in front of yourself and you've gotten there and helped others to get there as well, but can you tell me more about what exactly happened 13 years ago in 2006 it's actually so embarrassing because the week before the accident we were in Cape Town I did my first skydive over Bloberg Strand it was absolutely epic we climbed Jacob's Ladder which is that sheer rock face that leads up to the cableway uh, descended the mountain in the dark with our wallets and um, <laughs> landed up just coming back to Joburg and going to a, an indoor climbing gym. And on, on a Monday night, I took a jump off the wall. I can't even say I fell. I jumped and landed on the safety mat. But there was a split in the mat and my feet went down the hole and everything followed afterwards. And the best way to explain it is to I always tell people you can't touch your elbow no matter how hard you try. But uh, with enough brute force and ignorance, you can get both your heels to touch your calves. Oh, my gosh. And I broke everything from the shins down. I ruptured tendons. I pulled it loose completely. And uh, that was where the story would begin. And, yeah, that was it. So... At that point when this all had happened, um, you seem to be quite an adrenaline junkie. In the first five minutes, three minutes, two minutes that you've just opened up, uh, you sort of touched on that you, you were skydiving and climbing rocks down in Cape Town. Has this always been your vibe? Absolutely. I've always lived a very outdoorsy, fun life, doing cool stuff and hanging out. That's my, my job description. And um, yeah, I started climbing when I was in high school. I've always been a hiker, those sorts of things. And it was just something like that that would change everything. And I think that's what made the accident so epic is so much was taken away from me. That's exactly what I was going to touch on. You, you're doing your thing and you're enjoying life and, and you're in the best space. It's sort of like um, that movie, Me Before You. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes, I have. It's a tearjerker of note. I was yes. sitting on an airplane from, from one destination yeah. to the next and I put it on and I ugly cried so hard that a stranger <laughs> next to me was trying to wipe the tears. It was, it was so bizarre. Um, but the, the movie shows how this guy had this extreme lifestyle. Uh, you find that out like sort of 
quarter into the movie where, where she opens up his birthday video and what she, he used to be yeah and he was this yeah. adrenaline junkie and he, he was doing all sorts of things and outdoorsy and sporty and and then he landed up um, not being able to do that anymore and it's quite tragic um yeah. you went through the same thing i'm very grateful that i wasn't paralyzed um, i just had a lot of orthopedic surgery to to get things back to normal but i'm so glad that it wasn't anything as drastic as as he has it but yes living life to the fullest i mean by the time i hit the mat i'd climbed Kilimanjaro twice. I had been to Russia to climb the highest point in Europe. I'd climbed the highest point in South America, in Argentina. I, I'd been around and I'd been doing such amazing things. You know, I'd already sort of started working on my nickname of the bucketless guy. And uh, when the accident happened, I realized that everything would change. Absolutely nothing was going to be the same. What was the doctor's prognosis? Well, it was only after the third surgery, which was the worst, where they found out the exact extent of all of the injuries. There was a lot more broken than they'd seen in the original x-rays. And one thing I remember is him telling my, my mom that uh, I, I wake up from one of my surgeries to see him talking to my mom at the bottom of my bed. And he says, you can't run and you can't climb and you will always walk funny. I mean, he went as far as to say for his 30th birthday, we'll buy him a Zimmer frame. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Polish doctors, you know how funny they can be. Yeah, so it was it was horrible. You know, it, the way everything you imagine for yourself, everything that you plan ahead of yourself, just take it away. And uh, you absolutely know nothing now. And start from the bottom. We sp- when I opened up, I spoke, about, I spoke about the longest year in your life. And that was the sort of recovery time and, and you having to deal with the fact that you are now wheelchair bound and then you might not be able, well, the doctors have said you're not going to be able to run, you're not going to be able to, to, to hike, all these things. And also work-wise, like how do you how do you get back into the workforce? Absolutely, I was uh, an advertising creative, freelance copywriter, art director, working for myself, and you can't go see clients in a wheelchair. You can't go well, mainly because I was moved back in with mom, her townhouse on the on the first floor, fifteen steps from the front door to the car park. I remember that because I had to do it sitting, you know. Mm. Moon boot one, moon boot two, on your bum. Moon boot one, moon boot two, on your bum. All the way down. And so, yeah, things were problems. I was due to get married and the debt just started to to rack up. I was borrowing money because nothing was coming in. And uh, things got ugly in every aspect of my life. How do you, I mean, uh, we we can retrospectively look at it look back at it now and ask that question because you have gotten out of it and you have since then climbed more mountains um, and achieved many goals in your life. But when did the change come? When did the shift happen? It's one of those things that you, you have to reach absolute rock bottom. You have to reach a point where you realize it cannot, cannot, cannot get any worse. And for some people, it's a point where you realize it. For some people, it's a decision where you can say, okay, stop. This is the bottom. We're at the bottom of the hole. Stop digging. And from there, the only way out would be to start pushing upwards. And uh, for me, it, it came down to a handful of painkillers. I thought if I drank all of the painkillers, I could climb off. You know, stop the world, I'm done. Uh, this is not the life I signed up for. Just like that movie, I don't want to spoiler alert, but um, I, I was ready to end my own life. And as it would happen, there weren't enough tablets to, to do a good job. And I didn't want to risk leaving a vegetable on a hot lung machine for my mom to look after. And so I had to make another plan. And over the next few days, I had to realize that the only way out was going to be up. And I had to make some changes, make some thought pattern differences, change the, the dialogue inside my head and change it from I don't want to get better to I'm going to get better, stronger and tougher than I've ever been before. And when you've got no reason to live, you have to invent something. 
you know, this beautiful saying, the Chinese always say, when there's no wind, we have to row. And I, I began rowing and I gave myself a reason to get out of bed the next day. And, um, yeah, I decided to go climb Mount Everest. And the day after that and the day after that. And the that. day after that and the day after that. I mean, how did we, how did you, ch- we, <laughs> this is a story about both of us. Um, how did you, how did you then start to work on physically getting better? Because the doctors have given you this diagnosis. You, I mean, you know, you can't, you can't change what the doctors have said. They've, they've told you it's, it's going to Zimmer frame at 30. Yeah. You've made the mindset. You've, you've woken up the next day with this plan. How do you then make that real? It's got to be done in baby steps and excuse the pun, but yeah, you have to give yourself a new reason. Like I said, I mean, I printed out a picture of Mount Everest and stuck it on the inside of my cupboard at about a meter off the ground because I was about that tall in a wheelchair. And something I always tell people is keep your goals at eye level, look at them all the time and let them influence today's decisions. You know, so for me, get out of bed, brush your teeth, put on clean clothes because now there's a reason. Go to physiotherapy and let them hurt you, swear and and cry and do whatever you have to because now there's a reason. And uh, yeah, that was what I had to do. Break it down into small steps. And I could eventually graduate to crutches, move the picture a little bit taller on my, higher up on the cupboard wall. And um, yeah, then you can go from crutches to walking funny. And I always, I, I love to tell people that if you can walk funny, you can train funny. And if you can train funny, you can start a journey to the top of the mountain. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Three years, 27 days later, after the accident, I stood on top of Mount Everest. That must have, I mean, you're, you're literally on top of the world, but that must have felt like the ultimate goal that you'd reached. It, it was. And um, for that, I mean, I always had this vision in my head of getting to the top and, you know, Dvorak's overture, like pumping and the, the lights, the cameras, the everything. And it, it wasn't quite like that. It was minus 47 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> the wind was pumping at 60 Ks an hour. And um, I sat there for 22 minutes and just took it all in. There was no view to speak of. Being the slowest climber on the team, I caught the arse end of a storm that moved in. The window period had, had moved on. And uh, yeah, I got up there. I said, thank you. I did what I had to. And then it was time to get back down because my real life was about to start. And what, what was that real life? So we saw, I mean, wow. we, we get back down from Mount Everest. Um, and, and what do we do now? That's exactly what happened. I got back to the airport and some guy sticks a microphone in my face and says, you're 31 years old. What are you going to do for the rest of your life now that you've achieved more than most people will ever do in an entire lifetime? And uh, that that starts the cogs turning because, yeah, what are you going to do? Because according to my plan, I'm going to live to about 105 years old. So (laughs) I've got some time to do stuff. And uh, the next few years was figuring out why I had survived. Why did I get to the top of the mountain? Why did this happen to me? And now, looking backwards, I can say that the worst thing that ever happened to me was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Our listeners wouldn't know this, um, but but I've known you since we were kids because we both grew up in the South. You were more of a kid than I was. I was more of a kid than you were. Um, but we were in the same sort of scouts troop, troop, which is also bizarre because are scouts still around? I don't Absolutely. see I don't see kids really getting involved with that these days. Anyway, that's a different discussion. <laughs> so so we we've known each other since then. And a couple of years ago, I, I mean, you, you'd climb Mount Everest. You'd done Kili numerous times since then. Yeah. Um, you've done uh, mountains in Australia, Russia. I mean, you've done a lot of cl- mountain climbing. And I got, uh, I got asked to climb Kilimanjaro for charity. 
to raise a bit of money for charity. Uh, you're laughing because you just couldn't say no fast enough. Well, so they I, hooked you up. They hooked me up, and uh, I paid for myself to get there and all those good things. But the first person that came to mind was you, because I, I knew your story, and I sort of got into touch with you, and I, I spoke to you about what what I needed to do and what shoes do I need and how do I whatever and you you borrowed me a whole bunch of stuff yeah because you said you're gonna, you're going to buy this and it's going to be a waste you're never going to use it again yeah yeah some unless like the bug bites waterproof pants and you gave me a whole bunch of stuff yeah. and then you sort of coached me onto getting on top of that mountain and and I must tell you that that uh you talk about the reality versus the dream, right? Yes. So you got to the top of Mount Everest and there was no view and it was really crazy, but you still felt all those crazy feelings. For sure. I cried like a girl. Well, so did I. And, uh, and I, I climbed Kili. Well, not on Mount Everest. Climbed on Kili. Climbed up Kili. It was um, completely foreign for me. I'd never yeah. done real climbing before. Never really camped before, like on the side of a mountain. When you sleep and you slide down your bed because it's not sort of level. <laughs> and we climbed up uh, when, you, when you're doing the peak of Kili. You start at like 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then you go up that peak to the, to the sort of final thing. And you can see the peak in the distance. And I got to that peak and I was like, yes, this I've made it. it. And and the the guide said no. <laughs> this is the first peak. <laughs> this is Stella Point. Keep walking. We got to keep walking for like an hour, yeah. and and I I cried for that full hour from that point to because I'd I'd given myself enough energy to to get to the point that I saw in front of me, yeah. but I had the goal to really reach the summit to, yeah. to the peak, and it was really really tough for me to get to the top of Kili, and then. Once I got down, and I, I mean, the bug does bite, and you start thinking yeah. about mountain climbing and all these good things. Kilimanjaro is only the base camp height. Yes, yes. In terms of altitude, by the of time you get to Everest, Everest. base camp, yeah, it's. I, cu- I couldn't even fathom climbing further than that. Further than that. Further, rah, rah, rah. it further. is further rah, 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 because it is. It's absolutely. It's crazy. You realize once you get to base camp. That, like I said, you're almost at 6,000 meters and the summit of, of the mountain is three and a half kilometers straight up from where you are. And uh, the mountain is so big. Uh, I struggle to explain it to people. The first time I saw the mountain, it was 85 kilometers away. So day two of the trek to base camp, you see Everest through a, a gap in the trees just before Namche Bazaar. And you realize that this pyramid of stone is from Johannesburg to Pretoria away and you can see it. So it must be quite big. Uh, and yeah, I always tell people there is nothing that will prepare you for the first time you see that mountain. And there isn't. How long did it take you to, from the start of like, the start of the hiking to summiting? Okay, so you land in Lukla and then it's about a 10 day walk to base camp. In total, to climb Everest, you've got to you write off 74, 78 days. Because it's just an acclimatization process. You get to base camp and you have to rest for a week. So your body can can be ready to go higher and uh, physiologically you can adjust to the gaining altitude. And then you move to camp one, you spend the night, you move to camp two, you spend the night. And then just the way our rotation worked, we moved to camp three, spent the night at seven and a half thousand meters. Because now you're already higher than any mountain outside of the Himalayas. It's absolutely mind boggling. And that's where we went on to oxygen. I was going to say, did your mind go a little bit moggy? Sort of being yeah. on these mountains and the altitude's different and the air's a little bit lighter. Um, a little bit. <laughs> again, again, again I, can only, I can only relate this to when I was on Kili, but that final night before you summit, it took me about an hour to get dressed because I just couldn't. 
I knew what I needed to do, but putting on a sock was just so everything it's was hard slower. work. Yeah. yeah, at altitude, everything is hard. From putting on a sock to, and now you can imagine what it's like with two pairs of socks. You need to put on double boots that zip up and Velcro closed, and and, and then you've got to, you know, put on sunscreen at minus thirty five degrees in the middle of the night. You're kind of wondering why? Why am I doing this? Why? But uh, there's that little summit that you want. Uh, yeah, it goes against all logic. But, uh, hey, the human body wasn't made for it. The, the human spirit was. Well, I could, there's only a handful of people that have, that have climbed uh, Mount Everest from South Africa. Yeah. And that's why it's so incredible that you've reached this goal. And you've done it even though doctors said you would n- not walk properly, hike, yeah. or need a Zimmer frame by 30. And by 31, you'd, you'd hiked. You've reached the top of the world. Yeah. Um, you get back down. You now have to decide what you're going to do. Um, and immediately, you decide to climb more mountains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why not? Um, it's always been a passion of mine. I mean, I knew I wanted to climb that mountain since I was 16 years old. I have a tattooed across my shoulders. Mount Everest and the neighboring peaks are on my back. And um, it, it's quite funny. So after climbing Mount Everest, the doctor said I wouldn't climb again. So I figured he said I would never run again. So I entered the Ironman. <laughs> and uh, two years after Everest, I finished the Ironman. I didn't win it. The, the guy who did win it did it eight hours before me. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a nice thought because what's really good is I got a clean slate to rewrite what I was capable of um, in in my book, and maybe that's a subtle punt. But um, in my oh, no, book, no, 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 we're gonna get to the book. In okay, I, I've got a chapter on the Iron Man, and um, it's called "It's Okay to Wee a Little Bit." But um, at the okay end of that chapter, <laughs> yeah, at the end of that chapter, uh, it says, uh, I, "I've got this. Thanks. Leave my limitations up to me, basically." So let the doctors tell you what they want. Once again, it's their opinion. And take their advice. Don't be stupid about anything. Uh, but you get to decide what the limits are. Okay, so Robbie, this is why I brought you into the show. Because it is the first show for me for the new year. Uh, and I know we're a little bit late because we're already sitting on the, the umpteenth of January. What is it? The 174th day of January? Something like that. Um, 20, 2013. <laughs> but we've, we've brought you in because uh, your story is so incredibly motivational and inspirational. Thanks. There's a lot of people who have made New Year's resolutions and they're already kicking themselves up the bum because they've, they've skipped leg day twice. And they've eaten that donut that they weren't supposed to. Yeah. And they've given in to the, the fact that, ah, uh, this goal that I wrote down is... Whereas you, I mean, you literally were wheelchair bound and you may have skipped leg day and maybe eaten the donut, but you still somehow got up and, and walked again. And I think that's incredibly motivational. Thank you. Not only that, but you climbed down from the mountain and he, he's not leading on to this. That's why I have to take him there. But he's become a motivational speaker. And that's, that's your job, right? You, yeah. you go around the country putting the fire back in, in South Africans and into teams and into boardrooms. And, and that's what you do now. Absolutely. And not just South Africa. Yeah. Brent, stay with us. Come on. <laughs> um, I've spoken in England. I've spoken in Luxembourg, overseas, even in Vintok. And um, I'm due to go in April. I'm speaking in Macau. At a, at a Chinese educational conference, which is really, really awesome. Uh, I get to add more countries to my list. And uh, yeah, I'm doing, I feel I'm doing what I was born to do because I used to be in advertising. And I, I really struggled to put my heart and soul on the line for one day to promote dog food and then the next day, you know, promoting alcohol to a market of people that can't afford it. And alcohol is the worst thing that could possibly be introduced to their communities now. And um, I couldn't live with myself. So when this happened, 
I realized I had a story. It's a life shift. You Huge. literally, you took one thing and it turned into another thing. And you took that thing and you, you threw your heart and soul and your everything into it. They say you, are, you become successful by being obsessed. Absolutely. And, and you're obsessed about the climbing. You're obsessed about the outdoors. And you're obsessed about getting other people up and doing what they're meant to be doing. For sure. I mean, the, the bottom line of, of what I talk about is, I've realized people are happiest and healthiest and most productive doing the stuff that matters to them. You, you know, if you can make it matter, and I'm preaching to the choir here, Brent, but if you can get stuff that matters, there's no such thing as sacrifice. People will put in the, the extra hours. It's funny, that hobby that you've got that you really, really love, you never complain about how much you spend on it. Be it time, be it money. You know, people joke, oh, well, if you don't want your kids to get into drugs, introduce them to climbing. They'll never be able to afford the drugs. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, climbing climbing equipment or some, something obsessed with, you can never have enough. Going to new places, just just going. It's not about going higher or further. I mean, I'm climbing the seven summits. I, I So, before we get into that, because that, yeah. that's the next thing. You've written a book. Yars. Which is called Left Foot, Right Foot. It's a story about falling down and getting up, which is exactly what we've spoken about now, yes. but more in depth, right? Yes. So, so the book's done. It's doing really well. It's reached bestseller. Hit in, bestseller just in South recently. Africa. Yeah. That's a big round of applause. Thank you. Um, that's really amazing. I don't know. Uh, how many books does it take to get to bestseller? Two and a half thousand copies uh, in the in the biography section. So yeah. I don't know a lot of a lot of um, human beings that have made a product by themselves and then sold two and a half thousand in the time that your book's been been on the bookshelves. So congratulations on Thank that. You. That's really cool. But now I guess you need material for a new book, right? So yeah. seven summits. Well, yeah, uh, it's the next chapter. But I always used to have because that's the first question everyone asks. So what now? And I always had this really good answer. I used to say, I want to finish the seven summits. I'd like to attempt one of the 8,000 meter peaks in the world without oxygen. Just what are the seven summits? So it's the seven highest it's summits. Mountains on each of the continents. Which is Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro Mount Everest. Mount Everest in Asia, Aconcagua in South America, Mount McKinley or Denali in North America, Mount Kosciuszko in Australia, and Mount Vincent in Antarctica. Have and I left? Oh, Mount, Mount Elbrus, highest point in Europe. How many of those have you done? 5.9. Point nine being? I have gotten to the high camp, being one and a half kilometers from the summit of the highest point in North America, twice. I got there in 2011, without spoiling the book, but I got to high camp and I couldn't carry on. My feet from, from the, the dog work and dragging sleds and the heavy packs, I got to high camp and I wasn't able to carry on. The inflammation in my ankles, they, they, I was absolutely unable to walk. And we couldn't wait for me to, to get into better shape because there was a storm on the way. So the next day, summer team left and I got to watch them and they came back. And six years later, being June 2017, I went back, got to high camp. I was in the best shape of my life. I was strong and the weather and the conditions just weren't agreeing with us. And somebody left. The conditions were forecast to improve. We were ready to go, ready to rumble, and they didn't improve. And there were people high on the mountain that actually collapsed and someone actually died because they were up there in the wrong weather. And we decided it wasn't worth it. So we get to turn around and try again. In moments like those when the, when the, when the world puts something in front of you to stop you mm -hmm. reaching your goals or, or to sort of just may, maybe put a pause on that goal until another time, what, yeah. what, is, what is the advice to our listeners? Because we face that every day, right? Absolutely. When you 
I don't know. You've got a meeting. You're heading to it. You get stuck in traffic. You don't make it on time. You don't get the job. It sucks. Uh, you you break up with your loved one. It sucks. There's there's these things that happen every day in our everyday lives. What advice do you have for someone when you're sitting on a mountain watching other people go up and you can't? It's tough. But in hindsight, 2020, it's always easy to say than do. But don't lose the game. Well, you can lose the game. Just don't lose the lesson. And it's the worst thing. It goes against everything you want to do. You want to set fire to your climbing boots. You want to just give up on life completely. But a week later, you get a little bit of insight into it and go, well, that's not the worst thing that could have happened. The worst thing that could have happened watching my friends go to the summit is I went with them and couldn't carry on another step. And they would be in a rescue to get me down instead of them going on to the top. We did it safely. I got to come home. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a reason. Don't stress. I'm lucky with mountains. They're not going anywhere in a hurry. I can always go back. I can go back three, four, five times, provided I come back alive. And you've just got to, yeah, lose that game, but it's not over. It's not over until it's completely over. Until it's completely over. So so your, your, your reaction used to be that you're going to finish the seven summits, but now it is? I would say finish the seven summits. Then I wanted to climb an 8,000-meter peak, no oxygen. And then we wanted to do something crazy like build a raft and cross Lake Malawi and then do something scary like have a kid. And um, my little girl now is seven months old. She's the most beautiful thing in the world. <laughs> Just before we got on air, Robbie was telling me how he did not sleep last night. No. And all I could say was, welcome to parenting. Isn't that what kids do? Yes, yes, Brent, that's what kids do. Um, but I, I'm proud enough to say that I've turned the worst thing in my life into the best thing in my life because Denali at the highest point in North America, its name used to be McKinley and my daughter's name is Kendra. Um, Kendra, Kendra, I'll never live that down. Kendall McKinley Coyetan. There we go. So yeah, now she's the best thing in my life and if I don't get to go back to the mountain, that's also okay. Who knows what tomorrow holds? Maybe she'll come with me. Maybe she'll come with you. Uh, well, so, she's way too intelligent for that. <laughs> uh, Robbie, it's been great having you on the show. Um, I, lo- I love what you stand for and I love what you're about. And, and through the years that I've gotten to know you, um, I'm just proud and it's an honor to see you grow and, and do amazing things. You continue to inspire everybody that knows you. Um, and I cannot wait for your next book to Thank be launched. Thank you, I'm, I'm very grateful for, for someone like you to say that to me. I mean, it makes my day job if i can call it that with all that much more that's it wishing you only good things and for more good things visit www.goodthingsguy.com okay love you bye